Welcome to the Backyard Bourbon Broadcast. In this episode, Jeremy goes into slight detail about the origins of the Bottled and Bond Act and wonders if it's truly worth the trouble these days. This is episode two of season two of the Backyard Bourbon Broadcast. Hey there, Backyardigans. How y'all are? Welcome to finally our first episode of 2019. It only took us to March to do it, but uh, better late than never. Or probably for you all, better never than late at all. At any rate, how has the new year been for you so far? Um, it's been an interesting start for me. Had an incredible, and I mean incredible, Christmas break that bled over into the new year. As you may know, I'm still working on my bachelor's degree at 42 years old. Not bragging. And I will actually graduate this May. And in the final stretch here, I took a winter session, winter intercession course through the month of December. And that was the only thing, the only thing that I can point to that I completed during this Christmas break. Nothing else, absolutely nothing else got done, folks. My family and I stayed at home for 14 straight days. And then that guy in the office says, or office space, he says, it was everything I imagined it could be. It was, it was so nice. Um, if you have kids, especially if you have teenagers, you know this to be true. Your lives are extremely hectic just with their schedules, not even involving you and working a full-time job and whatever else. But um, my wife and I work full-time. Our daughter's uh, junior high and high school, one in dance, one in pre-med classes. I'm going to school part-time, volunteering with my dog on campus, trying to squeeze in a podcast now and again. It really fills up your calendar. So when you get a chance to just shut things down, boy, did we shut things down. It was a very nice change of pace. Um, it amounted to what I called low-level debauchery. Uh, we stayed up late, we slept in late, we watched movies, we opened Christmas presents, instantly consumed all of Grandma B's famous pecan rolls, played hours of PlayStation, I mean hours, literal hours. In fact, a friend of mine reminded me that PlayStation sent out each Plus member a, a breakdown for their stats of 2018. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm really coming across as quite the... Uh, quite the cool guy bragging about my PlayStation stats. Anyways, I believe my uh, December amounts were like over 90 hours of PlayStation use. My eye sockets still hurt. But it was incredibly incredibly relaxing. It was necessary, and I have to tell you there was a direct correlation between how incredible our Christmas break was and how horrible it was to go back to work and school the next week. Um, the greater the break, the more having no break sucked. And any of you geeks like me out there playing Red Dead 2, oh my word. Folks, prepare to be obsessed, lose all track of time, stay up late, and go blind. In fact, that's probably the tagline of the game, but I wouldn't know because I didn't waste any time looking at the game case. I don't normally geek out about video games, but oh, RDR 2 is a lot of fun. And they throw in some whiskey in there, specifically Kentucky bourbon, throughout the game. Speaking of bourbon, let's talk about it, why don't we? One of the Christmas presents I got, well, I got myself, truth be told, but I was requested to do so, let me clarify that. Here, here's what happened, I got my brother a bottle of the uh, Colonel E.H. Taylor for Christmas, the small batch, bottled and bond version, all nice with the canister and everything. I bring it home, I show it to the wife, explain how I'd love to try it sometime because I've never had it. Wife says, why don't you go and get yourself one for Christmas? And I argue with her for what must have been about four nanoseconds, drive back to the liquor store, pick up my own bottle, 
and get back to the house. Meanwhile, wife and kids have to go to the uncle's house so they can go to the Nutcracker, and I'm left all alone. What to do? Hmm, what to do? Several beautiful pictures later, the bottle's open, and I'm sampling a cup of Christmas cheer thanks to the good Colonel. Now, don't hate on me, but I didn't realize it was bottled in Bond. Don't judge. Never had it before, so how would I know? But uh, that got me thinking. Is there still a legitimate reason for the Bottled in Bond Act? It's coming up. Its anniversary is coming up. Well, I'm doing this podcast March 2nd, so it's coming up tomorrow. Bottled in Bond Act. Might have to have some of the good kernel tonight just to preface. Is there still a legitimate reason for the Bottled in Bond Act? Well, before we get to that, let's review those requirements from the Code of Federal Regulations, Title 27, Alcohol, Tobacco, Products, and Firearms. Okay, it has to be produced in the same distilling season by the same distiller at the same distillery, stored for at least four years in wooden containers, that wherein the spirits have been in contact with the wood surface, and specifically for bourbon, because these, these regulations cover uh, vodka and, and other things too. So specifically for, for bourbon, um, it has to be, the wooden containers have to be new American white oak barrels, um, unaltered from their original condition, or character by the addition or subtraction of any substance other than by filtration, chill proofing, or other physical treatments, which do not involve the addition of any substance which will remain incorporated in the finished product or result in a change in class or type. Uh, let's see. Reduced in proof by the addition of pure water only to 100 degrees proof and bottled at 100 degrees proof. So those are the, those are the bib regulations. B-I-B. Why do we have that regulation? Well, to prevent unscrupulous distillers from adding or subtracting from what is identified as bourbon. So you don't get tobacco spit or arsenic or root beer, muddy water, sewage, God knows what else they were putting in the juice way back in the closing days of the wild, wild west. It was well known that this was quite the epidemic back then. The good Colonel E.H. Taylor saw through these hucksters and the uh, industry damaging potential that they carried with them and um, sought to eliminate their unscrupulous business practices. He is one of the fine people we can thank for bringing legislation to clean the bums out of the business, or at least make them straighten up and fly right. But that was 1897, March 3rd, 1897. So we're on what? Let me, let me break out the calculator. Calculator. It's 2019 minus 1897. 122 year anniversary coming right up. It's almost, yeah, 122 years later. Is there still a need for distilleries to go to the bottled and bond route? Well, look at it this way. Nowadays, with 24 7 coverage on news, social media, news travels very fast and bad news travels extremely fast. Do you think a distillery would risk the certain-to-be-fatal attention that brewing shady juice would bring? I honestly don't know one distillery that would risk that, especially any that employ a social media team. A bad reputation is terminal these days, and your distillery isn't going to last long if people don't trust your product. So I'll ask again, is bottled and bond necessary? Well, I, I think it still is, in my opinion. First of all, I think the threat of legal action and the guarantee that others are following the law keeps everyone on the straight and narrow. Maybe it's the unnecessary rule that only becomes necessary if it's not a rule. 
Maybe it's a reminder that even in the wild, wild west, during our wild and wooly days, once in a while, we found a place for law and order. Uh, measuring stick to ensure a manufacturer or a distiller did what he'd say he'd do. Or maybe it's just good marketing. Secondly, more importantly, a lot of distilleries are moving, removing age statements from these labels, uh, on, from their labels on their products these days. And I'm not an expert at all on this subject, but I have yet to hear a legitimate business reason for doing this. I'm sure there are plenty of business reasons for doing this, but not legitimate business reasons. If you made a product and then let it sit for more than four years without selling it, wouldn't you tell your customers this? I mean, I understand some companies are using this as a marketing ploy to jack up the price of their product on the mistaken assumption that older is better. Well, if they fleece the fools, what do I care? If product marketing tempts a poorly informed customer instead of the product itself, that's really out of our hands. Removing the age statement isn't a fix for this, I don't, I don't feel. In fact, I feel it's a bad solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. I'll be honest, I have yet to have a BIB that compares to the Wild Turkey 101. I've had Evan Williams, Baldwin Bond, Carl Taylor, Old Granddad, even Rittenhouse's Rye. And in my very humble and highly unqualified opinion, Wild Turkey leaves them all behind. And I know the Wild Turkey 101 isn't a Baldwin Bond. I'm just trying to show that the, the higher proof of the Wild Turkey 101 isn't the turnoff for me for those other brands. At any rate, Bottle and Bond is here. It's with us. Its anniversary date is coming up quick. And there's really nothing else that you poor folks need to listen to me yammer on and on and on and on about. Uh, this has probably gone on long enough. Trouble you folks more than you have a right to, so we'll end it right here. Special thanks to the incomparable Chris Hagen, whose music we use today, along with the Jingle Punks for their tune at the beginning of the show. You can find the music for both of these incredibly talented artists on YouTube's audio library. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have any comments on our program or the pictures and videos we provide, please drop us a line at backyardbourbonbroadcast at gmail.com or find us on the interwebs or social media. We're on Instagram at backyardbourbonbroadcast and on Twitter at bourbonandstory. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the next episode of the Backyard Bourbon Broadcast.